welcome back to another episode of Mumbling Through. We are coming to you after work today, so if we sound a little bit frazzled, that's why. We've been trying to record on the weekends, usually on a Sunday. We have a nice lunch, trying to breakfast some coffee. It's too late for coffee, so we're going to have hot chocolate. Um, and we're just chilling in our comfies doing the episode today, but I feel like I've got absolute work brain. So I do apologise if anything sounds weird. Uh, yeah, how has your week been, Antonia? How has my week been? Um, my week has been good, quite chilled. Um, what did I do at the weekend? Me and Sean went to see a comedy show. I don't know what that is. Sorry. Boiler. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? That's noisy. No, it's the fridge. Why did your fridge make that noise? I don't know. It's just, I was going to say, it's just heating up. It's just cooling down. It's cooling down. Um, yeah, I had to go see a comedy show, which was fun, although I had to stand. Oh, no. Do you know what's hilarious? Oh. It's called The Stand, where you went. You had to stand at the stand? Comedy shows? Yes, I had to stand at the stand. And I was actually raging. Why? Because the doors opened at seven. It didn't start until like half eight or something. Half eight? Yeah, or maybe it was eight. I don't know. Do you know, know what? That's a money-making business yeah then being like is. come at seven because then is. you just buy drinks for like an hour and a half and i was like right well if we get there for quarter past seven surely that's enough got there for 20 past seven and the queue was all the way along the street and i'll tell you why i was actually getting so pissed off the guy at the door was speaking to every single person like he was being like a showman to every single oh. person so the queue was never moving and every single person he would say like the kind of like house rules like don't heckle don't whatever can they not just say that before like they start the show yes which they did say i was like i feel like this is you having a personal opportunity to do a performance (laughs) whilst we're all waiting maybe he was trying to be discovered no i felt like he kept he he kind of ran the place but i was actually getting so pissed off i was like i i hate everyone here is this the one on queen street yeah is it big because is it underground because it looks like it's going to be Downstairs, it's slightly smaller than the Glasgow one, and this was another thing. So I just missed out on getting the tables, so I was like, stand. And they had the bit like in Glasgow where you can put your drinks, and obviously in Glasgow you could have stools. There were all the stools in the back that I could see. Oh no! They wouldn't let us use them. We asked every single person that worked there, and each time they said no. And I was like, right, Sean. Oh no! We've done it. I was like, and then somebody else got a stool. And then he said it was because they had some sort of like health condition. I was like, please. Well, you should have put Sean in there because of his new health condition. Well, Sean was like, let me just like pick up my arm. So for context, Sean now has a cast on his arm. And um, I actually have the most crazy story to say about this. But um, so basically, now I'm just changing stories now. I just have a good time at this at the stand overall. Just to round that up, I was in a really bad mood for the first like hour. I can't stand for longer than half an hour these days. I feel like an old person. My legs get so sore. And I was on my period, and I was genuinely like to Sean, and I just started. I had the worst cramps. Like such a sore back. I was like Sean, tell them I'm on my period, and he was like, right, fuck, okay. Oh, (laughs) I love that. Yeah, but he he actually didn't end up doing it because as soon as he started speaking to the guy, he was like, it's a fire. Fire hazards. Yeah. I was like, honestly, I'd be, I would be more out of the way sitting down than I would right here. And then some lady <laughs> came right before the show started, after I had guarded this spot for an hour. It's the only Did spot. Did she stand in front of you? She fucking was not, like, nudging up against me. I was getting so oh. raging. I was honestly like, 
do not, because I had the only bit that you could lean against the wall. Oh, no. And Sean was like, you should see the licks she's giving you. I was like, I don't care. I was like, I am. See what? That is an absolute pet peeve. We actually almost got into yeah, get a fight. Yeah, getting fights We almost got... <laughs> Antonia's a bit aggressive. Um, no, yeah, when we went to the stand in Glasgow, we got into... We almost got into a fight with these guys who were being really fucking loud and annoying that were standing next to us. But that's not what I was going to say. When I went to see um, Paolo Nantini at the Corn Exchange, there was this guy and she stood right in front of me. It was just waiting oh. for that. And I'd been, exactly, I'd been guarding my space for like an hour, like mm. ages. And she came and stood in front of me and she danced the whole way through the concert. I don't mind dancing, but this was like hip thrusting, hair flicking, like her hair was going in my face. I was like, I am eating your do you hair. Think you're doing? And I am like, like, I'm not good with confrontation at all. Even at concerts, I'd be like, uh-huh. and I literally kept being like, to play, well, she fucking moved, saying it so loudly. Did you feel, she'd hear me. did you feel good? No, because she didn't move. No. She just stood there and I was like, I hate you, you bellend. It was awful. It's not good when that happens. Anyway, sorry, back to Sean's commission. Yes, so um, this actually isn't funny, but Sean, Sean has realised that he has some sort of really rare bone disease. Um, Can you remember the name of it? Keenbok. Keenbok? Yeah. Okay. I think the guy that discovered it is Polish. Or is it Keenbok? I always get it wrong. Made me think of Springbok. Yeah, I think it's Keenbok. Anyway, um, so for context to how rare it is, only seven in every like two hundred thousand people have it. Um, and he went to a physio, and the physio didn't pick it up. And um, this doctor who Sean knows, who's like head of medicine at London, one of the unis or whatever. Head of medicine at London. <laughs> <laughs> Scientific. <laughs> One of the years, I don't know. He is old and he's a he's old and he's He's a doctor. Yeah, okay. he didn't know what it is. So no one really knows what this this thing is. Um, that's how rare it is. And basically, it just means that there's a bone in his wrist that doesn't get blood flow. Um, and it can have like impact your way of life in the sense that you're not supposed to do like heavy weightlifting or things that has like impact or anything like that. Yeah, just a side note. I didn't realize Sean was explaining it to me when I arrived here. I didn't even know that your, like, blood went to your bones. Neither did I. Probably something that you should know, but, like... No, I didn't. Sean no. was like, so my, so my bone's not getting any blood? Yeah, I, was I was like, like is it supposed to? Yeah. <laughs> thought your bones just, like, were just in you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And they, the blood just went around them. So did I. I didn't think about the fact that blood went to them. Yeah. Anyway, so a big learning curve. Anyway, yeah. Um, but doctors don't really know that much about it because it is so rare. Um... So in terms of like what he can and can't do, they're not really sure. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a case by case basis. But he was feeling all like blue because he can't play football anymore because of his knee, and he was like the only thing that he does now is the gym, really. Mm-hmm. Um. So I was like researching online. I was like, can you have Keenbok and go to the gym? And then I came across this woman's YouTube channel, and she has it, and she still goes to the gym and stuff like that. So I was like watching her videos, and I was like, that's a really good good one like I'm gonna show Sean and Sean had actually found her YouTube page already and the video that I'd watched had been posted like four or five years ago and she's from Poland actually as well um and in the video which was like four or five years ago she was like made reference to having previously lived in Scotland and I didn't think anything of it at the time obviously just watched the rest of her video then didn't think much else about it and then literally the next day I was running into my building like where my flat is and I was going to lift and some lady came out 
And you know that way, like, she just went past me and I was like, is she famous? Because you know that way we're like, who yeah, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I recognise her face. And I was like, it was going through my head because she's quite distinct because she's got really, really long blonde, like bright blonde hair and like piercings on her face. And I was like, oh my God, this is Mrs. Keenbock. Like, this is Mrs. Keenbock, who I have been watching a YouTube video from four or five years ago, who lived in Poland, who has this really wild. weird thing who must live in my building. I was literally like, you cannot be serious. So then I went onto her YouTube because I was like, surely that can't be right. And I found the most recent video that she posted, which was like a year ago, and the location was Edinburgh. And honestly, I was like, holy shit. I was in the flat on my own, like bouncing off the walls. I was like, voice not your child. Like, you have to listen to this. She just sent me this screenshot of this lady's um, YouTube. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. With like no context. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, I don't really understand. And then you sent me this voice not explaining. Just honestly, wild. Honestly, did you say did you say it's one in two hundred thousand or seven? In? Seven in two hundred thousand. Seven in two hundred thousand, yeah. and two of those people live in your building. In my building. Like, what I was hell? messaging someone like you will never believe it, and then he well he wasn't replying to me for because he's out for drinks, and I was honestly like I've never wanted you to look at your phone so much. Bouncing about the walls. Bouncing about the walls. Like I can't believe this is happening, and then he was like, Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't text you earlier. I think I seen her on the bus this morning. And he was also bringing up her YouTube channel and like looking at her face and then looking at the video. Um, she, he was like, oh my gosh, this is the same one. Can you just believe the chances? I just can't. Like, I just don't, I just can't even fathom yeah. that. So Sean's like, I'm going to stalk her and we can become yeah. best friends. I think you, I think you need to create a group. Yeah, Keenbok group. Keenbok group. Honestly. And you could get the people from around the world to bring awareness to yeah. Keenbok and about yeah. bones needing blood. Because yeah, who knew? not very many people know about that. I honestly just couldn't believe it. And like, she's got her own scanner and stuff for her arm, so she knows like what? all the, yeah. That's so cool. So she had it for like, f- I think four four years before she was diagnosed. So hers was a bit more like further on, yeah. But anyway, that was the most wildest thing that's happened to me. So are you going to find her? Are you going to stalk this woman? Yes. So she's left her email address in one of the comments on her YouTube video. So Sean was like, I'm going to email her. Has he done it yet? No. Let's make him do that tonight. Yeah. And we can see what happens. I was like, holy fuck, she lives in our building. Um, So apart from that, I think that's been like the only excitement in... That's pretty exciting. I mean, obviously, like, I feel like I've made this whole Keenbox, Springbox... Kimbo, <laughs> what's it called? Kimbo, yeah. Thing sounds like really fun and cool. Yeah, obviously it's like obviously it, it's not, but sure. that is a a wild. But situation. I feel like silver linings. Silver linings. He Finding, was like, "This is a great omen. I'm going to be cured." I think it is. See, I when you messaged well. that, I was like, "That it just feels like some that sort is of fate that means or something. Some, that means something. It does. I don't know what, but it just means something." I was like, Sean, I was like, "I cannot wait to tell everybody at work tomorrow." Cannot wait to tell every man and their dog. Cannot wait to tell the world. And here I am trying to tell as many people as possible. <laughs> as many people as listen to the oh, podcast. Okay. Anyway, so that's that's me. What about you? My week has been good. My cousins from Brighton were upstaying, which was lovely. I ate out every single day apart from Monday last week. It was horrific. Well, it wasn't. It was genuinely delicious, but also, like, I don't know how I think I am. Very expensive. And also now feel like I need to eat green vegetables for like yeah. three weeks, um. But we went to Taco Libre on Friday, which I just honestly I don't think I went with you. Yeah, we went there. Yeah. Not very many people in Edinburgh know about it. Like every single person that's been to work about it was like, where the fuck is that? And if you're an Edinburgh local, 
Um, it's in the West End. It's like swedged between the Rat Pack and the Gilly Do, and it's this little Mexican restaurant run by Mexicans. I don't remember it. I'm thinking of somewhere else. Where are you thinking? I didn't go. I didn't go there with you. Yes, you did. And Sean, and Louis. That wasn't Mexican. Yes, it was. Before we went to see Gus. Shout out to Gus. Gus wrote our theme tune. He's fantastic. Is that you know what? Right. I'm not even gonna stop. Yeah, continue. <laughs> What were you going to say? That's where I had thought you meant initially, and then you said the West End. Yeah, it is in the West End. Yeah, that's why I stopped speaking. Where did you think the West I don't End know. Was? I don't know where the West End is. <laughs> the West End is where, like, the Johnny Walker is. Well, I've now gathered that. Okay. Anyway, it's this little... It's in this wee nook in the West End, and it's absolutely delicious, and it's actually very good value for money, and I took my dad, and he's, like, so critical of, like, all food, and he was like, that's the best medicine It was really good. And the margaritas. And the margaritas there are... Mm-hmm delightful and it's just very cool mm. colourful vibes love colourful vibes so definitely recommend that I would actually add on that they do private functions do they? yes <gasps> and obviously it's not that oh big. my god I'm going to go for my birthday this year you absolutely should Fran my sister um, rents it out for her corfball social oh my god that's so much yeah. fun and they had the whole the whole space and did she say it was expensive? Mm, no I don't think so it's cash only I, I feel like they probably didn't actually pay for the reuse of the room the room they just pay for the food and the drinks yeah that is fantastic yeah. oh my god you should do that for your birthday. birthday that'd be so fun giant yeah. Mexican meal oh my god that'd be amazing I'm gonna do that for my birthday too your birthday's before me yeah so you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like oh sure like get some Why original idea my I think I might do that oh god um but yes, yeah, so that was delightful. I actually had a mare when I was at work on Friday. Not really like a mare, but just like a weird thing. So, obviously I had my cousin staying. One of them wasn't feeling very well. Went for a lemsip from the cupboard in my house. My mum only buys like proper lemsips, you know, like the ones that cost like four pounds. Yeah, not the own brand. No, I bought like super drug own brand ones yeah. a while ago. As you do. As you do, because I was like, whatever. Anyway, she'd gone for a lemsip, pulled out a condom, out the packet. And was like, what Wait, the fuck? out of an actual lens? Yeah, let what? me show you. No, 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 no. As in, let me show you. Hang on. I'm going to have to put this picture up on this on the socials, otherwise I feel like you're you're not going to understand what I mean. Why can I not find it? What Look. the fuck? So do you think somebody did that in the shop? So, or? I thought... So just for context, the box is open and there's a there's a condom in it. Yeah, so there's sealed. like all the wee sashes and then there's just a sealed condom in it, right? But my whole family inferred that it was mine. Well, I would also infer it were yours. Oh my god, there's all these texts being like, oh my god, ha ha ha. It's like a king-sized condom. Everyone's oh like, does no, Louis have a big willy? No, that's blah, blah, blah. so awkward. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because I was just getting all these weird texts and the picture hadn't sent. So I was like, why are my whole family asking me if Louis got a big fucking willy? This is so <laughs> weird. And then, yeah, I got the picture through and I was like, that is not mine. I was like, categorically, one, why... Was the lem- were your- was this in the, fa- so in the this family was in cabinet? The, so this was in the family unit where we keep all our teas and everything. <laughs> and then it was obviously my lenses because I'm the only one that would buy like the cheap ones. And I remember them being in my work bag, so I remember putting them in the cupboard and everything. Yeah. But I, there was no physical possible way that it would have a condom in it. Right, if somebody must have thought it was funny in the supermarket or something. And just like wild. shoved it in. But yeah, I've never been so embarrassed in my whole life. No, my whole family, no, nobody believes me that it's not mine. I really believe you, family. Why? Why would there be a condom in the Lemsit box? You were bringing it round to Louis when you had a cold. What, and then just popped a condom in it? Yeah, just so you could use that as well. 
Antonia. No. It makes perfect sense. Oh my god. I don't no. think I believe you to be honest. Why? I think I think you're trying to make this into a story to cover your lies. This is not it's not a story. I honestly I was speaking to Lloyd about it and he was like fuming, he was getting a bit upset. He was like, Why do my family <laughs> think that? And I was like, honey, it wouldn't be yours anyway, because it's not king size. No, I'm just joking, I'm just take that out. <laughs> That's actually really need to take that out. Um but yeah, we had we had a great weekend. We also went to Johnny Walker, which I would also I've recommend. There. It's quite good. I think there's like a few different types of tour, but this one's like twenty five pounds. You get three drinks. Two of them are a cocktail. One of them's like a make your own thing, and then you get this big tour around like the building. And they show you I didn't know that. Scale, like where Johnny Walker came from. Where did Johnny like, Walker come from? He's American. Scotland. Oh, Antonia. Sorry, Antonia Holligan. <laughs> Do <laughs> you know the reason why I thought that? I don't think I want to know the reason why you thought because that. Because Johnny Walker is so famous in the States. That doesn't give you... And no one that's Scottish drinks Johnny Walker. If they like whiskey. That is actually true. They'll because drink like it's Americanised. But actually, Johnny Walker makes loads of the other whiskeys that you wouldn't have thought they would make. Really? Like, one of the, like loads of like the more like... Not the ones I drink. Expensive. How do you know that? I drink. What do you drink? I drink um, Dalwini. John Walker doesn't eat that, does he? I don't think so. Drive through Dalwini on the way to Fort William. Oh, okay. four houses long. Sounds like a stunning place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fab. I would definitely recommend going there if you have visitors because it was. I would quite like to do that. I would. Yeah, I would also do it. I think it, that, again. Oh, your birthday party. We should Ooh. all go and do the Johnny Walker experience. You don't and even then like whiskey. Go to, yeah, but it, they mix it with stuff. Yeah. And they're like their whole premise is like that everyone says like it's accessible. Whiskey well, whiskey isn't meant to be mixed, but actually it's delicious. They mix it. They put like soda water, and then I had like one with soda water, and I think it's apricot. Ooh. I'm a purist. This is what this is what they're trying to break. <laughs> no, you're not. I am a purist. Yeah, but you don't have to be. You can also be a mixer. Mm. Mixologist. I am a mixologist by trade. Oh my god. I would I just did my um CV, I updated my CV because that's actually another big thing that's happened in my week. I applied for a job. Oh woohoo. An adult job. Anyway, so when I updated my CV, tried to keep it to one page as you know, that's what they say I these days. I don't understand how people do that. Well Do you have a template that you use? I used what I think is a spectacular template. I think it looked really professional. Okay, can you send me it? <laughs> yeah, but I don't have Word anymore on my laptop, so I had to use oh, pages. Oh, that's for I it, know. isn't it? Oh, okay. So I had to use pages as a pages Why one. didn't you just do it on your Word laptop? I didn't want to look at my emails, frankly. Okay, self-discipline, yeah. fair yeah. enough. Yeah, but my dad was like, why have you not put all your bartending on your CV? He's so proud of it. Oh. I know. Anyway. That was a big part of your life, to be fair. Yeah, I agree. Shove that on. Um, anyway, sorry, this has been like the longest tangent ever and we've just recommended different places for you to go. Um, but yeah, Antonia, what are we going to speak about on the podcast today? Yes, so actually getting onto the topic at hand, um, you might remember, I think it was actually the first episode that we ever did, um, but it was muddling through imposter syndrome and I think self-comparison as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a really, really popular episode and one that we got a lot of messages on saying that the topic really resonated with people and they definitely felt like imposter syndrome is something that affects their life and it's something that me and Charlotte have always said that we feel like we experience a lot of. Um, 
and I do feel like now, especially at the moment and over like the last five or so years, maybe slightly longer, is a topic that is often discussed in like TED Talks, when women are being interviewed on podcasts or in articles, and men sometimes, but I think often it's a question that is asked of women, like it is discussed a lot. Um, so I feel like I was kind of like just like used to hearing it and the usual kind of things like being said. And then I was listening to the High Performance Podcast with Grace Beverly, who had come on as a guest, and I think they asked whether she felt like imposter syndrome affected her life and her career and whether she felt like she suffered from it. And she said something which I thought was really interesting. So she spoke about imposter syndrome from a slightly different angle, and I also heard not that long after, I can't actually remember, I think it was a scientist who came on Diary of a CEO, and she said something along similar lines about the way that we view imposter syndrome, the way we think about imposter syndrome. So we kind of wanted to think about it from a different angle and just reflect slightly differently on the topic. So that is what we're doing today. So for anyone that might not know, imposter syndrome is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. And it disproportionately seems to affect high achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments. So often, if you know, if you get a certain job, you'll think, oh, I only got that because I was lucky or right place, right time, right thing, kind of rather than it being because you're actually very well suited for the role and qualified for it. Um, And the concept, which was originally termed the imposter phenomenon, was established by two scientists in 1978 who ran a study focusing on high-achieving women. I think there were 150 people involved. um, And their findings basically said that despite outstanding academic and professional accomplishments, women who experience the imposter phenomenon persist in believing that they are really not bright and have fooled anyone who thinks otherwise. And since then they have kind of retracted the focus on women and they have acknowledged that it is something that men suffer from as well. However, I think there are certain aspects which mean that women definitely experience this more than men. And since then, it's a topic that you often hear coming up in podcasts and in interviews and I would say it is usually a question that gets asked of women and not really of men and there are people like Michelle Obama and Beyonce who have openly spoken about suffering from imposter syndrome so it is definitely something that is discussed a lot and that is really good for I think many reasons but what I hadn't considered and is what I had heard kind of raised initially by Grace Beverly in the High Performance Podcast and that was why imposter syndrome exists in the first place. So she had said that she had read an article in the Harvard Business Review, um, which I then went on to read as well, which raised quite a few interesting points and looked at imposter syndrome from an angle that I hadn't considered before. So the article is called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. And I don't know what the correct word is, but the premise of the article is that for many women, feeling like an outsider isn't an illusion. It's the result of systemic bias and exclusion so they focus on the role in which the workplace plays in kind of exacerbating that feeling of imposter syndrome because I would definitely say the context in when I ever feel like I have imposter syndrome is definitely in an academic setting like in work I don't think it's ever something that I necessarily feel in life yeah I would agree so they went on to kind of say that by putting the focus on 
women I'm saying like this is something that you suffer from and this is something that you know you can work through by doing x y and z it ignores the fact as to why imposter syndrome exists in the first place so by kind of like creating this overarching term we're totally ignoring systemic racism and classism and xenophobia which exist within society and often hold women back from climbing the working ladder or maybe going for roles that they would sometimes go for or having as easy of a career progression as say for example a white man would have or a white woman even. So the article raises the point that imposter syndrome is kind of typically something that both men and women will experience but usually as but usually for white men in particular it's easier to kind of come over that feeling of self-doubt because they can progress quicker which means that they kind of like okay well maybe I am able to do this or maybe I am good at this I just kind of need to keep going whereas it's not as easy for women to integrate themselves into the workplace as well especially if they're black or from a minority ethnic group which maybe you know they don't see somebody who looks like them in a position that they want to be in or you know there's always institutional racism which can play a point play a part in how women get roles so they don't necessarily find it as easy to advance in their career and therefore this kind of like initial feeling of self-doubt kind of turns on and turns on and turns on and turns into this idea of imposter syndrome when really it's not you it's the system. So the conclusion of the article was basically to stop telling women that they have imposter syndrome and start making workplaces better for women, which I thought was a very different angle to the one that we've kind of been fed and it was certainly a different narrative to one that I had considered because it's not really a you problem, it's the system, it's the structure, it's how society is rather than always being just self-doubt within your own head. Yeah, I do think it's important to kind of acknowledge that sometimes it's not a you problem like maybe it's not that I have imposter syndrome, it's that everybody has imposter syndrome and the way that the society is at the moment, um, for example, like I feel like everybody has a bit of an obsession with productivity and hustle culture. I actually feel like this is something that has developed even more so since COVID. Yeah. Because people had so much time mm-hmm. to use to be productive or like make new products or like work extra hours because you were at home hustle culture and like just being productive 24 7 has become such a big thing yeah i feel like it's almost such a common question to ask someone oh like i mean these aren't words that i would use but something similar like what is your side hustle it's almost like you're always expected to have something on the side yeah exactly like you can work bloody nine to five monday to friday and somebody's like yeah but what do you do at the weekends Mm -hmm. like oh do you do something after work like sometimes working nine to five is enough and that's something that we need to acknowledge but i do think like in a society that's so cut up on being competitive and joining the kind of rat race making the most money it's easy to feel the guilt of not moving quickly or living up to those expectations um but after a while they just become so unrealistic like for example there was a period of time when i was at work where I just decided, it was actually kind of when I just started that I had major imposter syndrome. I was working Mm -hmm. really late, wasn't being able to keep up. I was getting things wrong. I was worrying about like my chargeable hours and like how much money I was making for the firm and thinking, oh my God, I'm so like, I'm so behind. Why did I get this job? Who hired me? I'm an idiot. Like just having massive imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. But really, I think I was just burnt out. And what I've kind of come to realise is that people weren't thinking to themselves like, oh God, she's shit, like, why don't we hire someone else? 
they're probably thinking like fuck I'm behind too and I think it's important for us to kind of change the narrative of that like if you think about it if society put less pressure on people to kind of hit their targets join the rat race be working at level 100 all the time then it would be a lot less likely that so many people would feel like they suffered from from imposter syndrome because you wouldn't need to feel that kind of level of stress and that kind of level of self-doubt because you could work at the kind of pace you were probably meant to work at mm-hmm. um, the, at the speed that your brain was meant to go at um, and I just think this kind of hustle culture can make things a lot harder I feel like I've not explained that very well but like context when I was at my Christmas party for example I was sitting next to one of the senior associates who used to be in my old team and we were talking about like job progression and like possibly getting grad jobs and stuff like that and I was saying to her I was like oh like I'd just be like so shocked to get like a grad job in like this team like I just felt like I was really like shit basically and she was like I don't like why do you think that I was like oh I just have really bad imposter syndrome like I just don't ever really feel Mm -hmm. like I live up to like the expectation of like what like I was needed to do and she was like I don't think you underestimate yourself I think you just overestimate everybody else and that really like made me think because that's so true like like it's not necessarily that I have imposter syndrome it's just that I'm setting goals which are completely unattainable and unrealistic to essentially be the way I think people need me or want me to be when that's not really what they're thinking either like I do think imposter syndrome represents like a mental gap between how we perceive others and how others perceive us I actually think that example really kind of brings together everything that we have just been talking about because it highlights that it's not that you don't think that you're capable of doing your job like I think you know that you are Mm -hmm. like you definitely know that you've got the skills required to do your job and do your job well but you don't necessarily think that you are always doing it to the level which you think that you should be doing it. Yeah. When in reality, like, that level is too high. Also, who's who's even created that level? I've created that level mm-hmm. in my own head. Nobody sat me down and be like, this person this person works at this mm-hmm. standard, you're not there yet. But also in the same... But whilst no one's actually explicitly said that to you, that is an environment which is created within your workspace, not whether it is, like, a conscious creation that is kind of like how you feel in that environment and that's how I feel as well and it's only when you kind of get a glimpse of actually how everybody's getting on because like for example I always have a pure freak out when I'm like you know when you have all the flagged things in your inbox and I go down to the bottom and I'm like ah I got that on the first day I joined the team and I have still not dealt with it and I'll be like okay I've got like seven like skeletons in my closet on the surface I think like I might come across as I'm actually doing kind of like fine but if people were to realize what was shit show was actually going on in the bottom of my inbox then they would probably feel differently which is kind of like the idea which is common for imposter syndrome that people are going to find out that you're actually not doing as well as they think or you're you're not kind of like hitting those targets so that's always like a like a thing in the back of my head and I'm like oh like I think it seems like I'm doing okay but I'm not really but then like for example the other day at work everyone was going around and being like oh my gosh like you should see how many different closet skeletons are in their closet like you should see how many skeletons I've got in my closet and someone else was like oh my gosh like I've been sitting on this thing for like however many months and I was like wow like this is so useful because you guys all really seem like you've got your shit together and then as soon as that kind of like facade falls a bit you're like well why am I why am I thinking that the gold star standard is this when in reality 
it is a much more kind of like attainable level and it's only then do you realize that you're actually doing good do you know what I mean that you're doing fine and and I actually saw this uh post on LinkedIn as well which I loved because I used to do this also in my first seat when I was feeling like big major imposter I used to always google biggest mistakes I've made as a lawyer and I used to read all these um like threads on reddit and stuff of things that people had done wrong so I think I was giving the book made me feel better but also be like oh my god that could be me yeah it it does but the but for most of them they would say this awful thing happened but actually it was okay in the end or like I did it I did this to sort it like rarely was it I got fired and I no longer work in law type thing. Yeah. So it did usually make me feel better because I was like, right, well, if they can get over that, I can get over this. I do know what you mean. I actually also quite like it when you don't obviously explicitly speak to like senior staff about mm-hmm. your mistakes, obviously, unless you need to. But when people bring things up and they're like, oh, I absolutely fucked this drafting mm-hmm. or like I spelled someone's name wrong or I did this or I did that. And they're really high up, and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Oh, same. Same. <laughs> but I've been here for five months, and you've been here for 50 years. Yeah. Like, and then you're like, oh, okay, this makes me feel so much It's not much better. worse coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but the this thread on LinkedIn was kind of like the same idea, the worst mistakes that people have ever done. And there was also like on James O'Brien's episode recently, um, there was a story in the news about this. Who's James O'Brien? He's a um, LBC broadcaster. What's LBC? Is that <laughs> an American thing? No, Leading Britain's Conversation. Oh, that's bad. It's radio know. channel. Ah, okay. Um, I listen to him quite a lot. And um, he, like, this is such a side note, but there was this, there was work being done in Stoke-on-Trent and they were basically, like, renewing this road and planning out this road. And <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> they didn't oh, realise. Stick around if you want to hear about the new road in Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> And there was, I think, this, like, really artsy, I meant to look up the picture, really artsy statue that was made out of, like, bricks and, like, other things. And they obviously just didn't realise that this was a piece of art and just rolled on to <gasps> it. And it was apparently oh, really shit. kind of important and had, uh, it was quite expensive. It was a big thing for it was, it was a big thing for Stoke-on-Trent. And some people just pummeled it down and get the new road done. Um, so he was like, oh my God, what a shit show at work. So then he started getting people to phone in and be like, what is the worst thing that has ever happened to you at work type thing? I would love to listen to this. Mm-hmm. It was good. But like kind of feeding back into that, it's only when you have these open conversations about the reality of life and the reality of work. And Grace Beverly said as well, like that what she found herself guilty of doing before was feeding this narrative of hustle culture so she sometimes would find herself like posting a story on instagram at whatever time in the morning to be like look at me hustling working at like 3 a.m in the morning but then she wouldn't necessarily post the next day when she's probably slept until 12 because she stayed up so late Mm -hmm. and she's just feeding this idea which then shows to other people yeah which then shows to other people you know you're not really doing great if you can't keep up type thing when in reality that's not the position yeah Nailed it on the head. So, in summary, just to kind of round off that section, for me, the main thing to take away is to be aware of the situation within which you are. So, for example, some sometimes, you know, the system will be stacked against you a little bit such that you're not really an imposter. It is just a difficult situation and you will have to work a bit harder when you shouldn't really. But it's not that 
it's self-doubt it is just that it is a difficult situation and then on the other hand sometimes you might be making the situation different to what it is so you'll be setting unrealistic expectations for yourself or the environment that you're in might create the impression that you need to be doing x y and z when in reality that's not attainable in the first place so kind of just being aware of the situation at hand and not always thinking that you are suffering from imposter syndrome it might just be the situation that you are in and another point which I heard raised about imposter syndrome which I thought was quite interesting was um a post on LinkedIn by what's his name the diary of the CEO guy Stephen Stephen Bartlett yeah um and it was a clip of him speaking at some event and he was basically saying that we should change the way in which we look at imposter syndrome in the sense that it obviously has negative connotations imposter and syndrome both have quite negative connotations attached to it but really we should be actually striving to put ourselves in situations where we do feel like an imposter because those are the situations in which we will grow so he's like actually every day I want to feel like an imposter every day I want to feel like I am pushing myself into situations that I feel almost that I shouldn't be in or that I don't have the right to be in because you know you're you're always going to feel uncomfortable in situations that you are that are new to you and that you feel are like almost beyond your limits yeah but only then will you be can you grow I know what you mean. That's a kind of push yourself. It's basically push yourself out of your comfort zone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's also because it's kind of to an extent like my favorite quote, which is "No rain, no flowers." Because it's yeah. like if you don't go through the rain, you're not going to have the kind of the benefits of the flowers. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of labeling, making imposter syndrome a negative mm-hmm. label, it does hold you back because think of all the things that you kind of haven't done. Because you've thought, mm, like, I'm too much of an imposter in that situation. Like, you might not go somewhere because you're nervous that you're going to not know anyone and you're not going to be able to make enough conversation and you're not going to make friends or you're going to feel like an imposter in your own skin. Or you might kind of, this is obviously a bit of an extreme example, but you might never open your own business. Like, there's a few people, mm-hmm. even like Grace Beverly in that podcast that was saying, you know, like, if I hadn't put myself in, like, an uncomfortable situation, mm-hmm. I might not have made how mm-hmm. long. Is there a business called Shreddy? Possibly. I think it is. Um, and I do feel like a lot of people that come on different podcasts and say, obviously, they've grown their businesses and they've got a new brand and they've got new ideas, often do, obviously... I guess this is kind of just put yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But if you don't ask, you don't get. And it actually makes sense. If you think about going back to the start, how they felt like it was a phenomenon, which was... Am I saying that right? Phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. Do you know why? I, it makes me think of that advert. That goes phenomenon. phenomenon. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Is that an I don't know. But it's something. Anyway, um, something that affects high-achieving people primarily. And obviously that lines up with the fact that those are the type of people that are often going to be pushing themselves into situations where they don't feel comfortable. Yeah. Into situations where they are out of their comfort zone. So no wonder they suffer from it more. Yeah. Well, if you never go for it, you're never going to get it. Mm-hmm. In that kind of sense, like you asked for something recently... That was like a bit bold, I guess, and that's mm-hmm. paid off. So tell us a bit about that. Yes, that is true. Um, when I was applying for jobs, I was kind of in two minds about whether I would want to go for the job or not because I've had this feeling that I want to go travelling for ages, and I was like, if I don't listen to this, then I'll probably just regret it for the rest of my life. 
Um, but then I was like, well, I can't apply for the job and then ask for time off because who do I think I am? It's an internal job, just to be clear. Yes, sorry, it's an internal job um, within the team that I am already in. So I was kind of like, well, I just won't apply because I was like, I don't know who I think I am, too big for my boots to think that they would like want to give me the job and then give me six months off to travel when there would be other people that can take that job immediately. But I kind of just obviously tried to rationalise the situation and think, well, have I, have I done my job? Fine, within the team, yes. You've not done fine, you've done well. You're being an imposter. They wouldn't want you in six months' time. They wouldn't let you go travelling for six months if they just thought you were fine. Well, I must have known that on some level or else I wouldn't have asked. Also, I still don't actually have the job. Lol, this is going to backfire. Um, anyway, but I was like, well, I'm just going to go for it because I think that I've worked hard and I think that I'm entitled to ask for that, basically. So I didn't really let that hold me back, but I definitely think in many situations it is something that can hold you back. And I think me and you... It's something that we chuck around quite a lot. We're like, oh, we're such imposters or all oh, this. And there's a phrase that we use quite a lot when really it is just kind of like a bit of self-doubt and it's something that you can... Negate. Yeah, and like work against. And it's a natural feeling. And in some circumstances, in many circumstances, actually, it's natural to feel self-doubt. It's not something that we need to... Be scared of. Be scared of or classify as a syndrome or disorder. And there was also... um. An interesting point made at the end of that Harvard Business Review article, which kind of said this dramatizing of female emotion and codifying women's expression as usual, kind of like perfectly normal emotions as a syndrome or disorder has a long and ugly history, and we shouldn't really be commodifying that. <laughs> What's the Perpetuating that. Ah, <laughs> accepting that. Is that right? I prefer per- perpetuating. What does perpetuating mean? <laughs> <laughs> perpetuating. Um, Sounds like a kitchen utensil. Just going to use my perpetuating instead of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Continue. That was really all I had to say about the end of that. But basically. There was this quote that I liked, which kind of is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek approach, but it said, we should stop calling people who experience imposter syndrome, people who experience imposter syndrome, and start calling people who don't experience imposter syndrome overconfident weirdos. Because basically... Everybody does. Yeah. And it's normal. Yeah. And we should just be treating it as part of life. Mm -hmm. And fixing the social constructs that make us feel like we're imposters in our own skin. But yeah, that more or less rounds up the ramble that has been this episode. Uh, We do hope that you have enjoyed, that you have come and you have learned something, and that you think about your imposter syndrome the next time you call yourself an imposter and think, am I doubting myself? Can I get through this? And the answer is, yes, you can. (laughs) Mr. Motivator. Um, anyway, I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Um, this week we're coming out at the end of February, so it'll almost be March. Gosh. Wow. This week. This year. This year is going obscenely fast already. Let's make sure we appreciate every single minute of it. Anyway, we love you all. Thanks for listening and come back again next week. Thank you. Bye.